Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So speaking of today, what are we going to do today? We're going to launch a brand new series entitled Famous Last Words. And the famous last words we're going to be looking at are from Jesus on the cross. We're going to be looking at, over the next four weeks, four incredible life-changing statements from Jesus that are still powerful and relevant right down to this day that can radically change our life if we put it into application in our life today. And um, so this morning, I want to begin this series by asking you a question in this new Uh, this first message in this uh, new series, here's how I want to start it. I want to ask you a question and get you thinking about this. Have you ever had someone do you wrong or ever have someone wrong you in a way of betrayal? Maybe this was somebody who broke your heart, stole money from you, stole your idea. Maybe this is an ex-husband, ex-wife, ex-boss, ex-best friend. You fill in the blank. But here's what I wanted you to see today as we go through this message is that the, these people, these ex-people in our life have more power over us and impact in our life today than we could possibly realize. These are the kind of people who we would celebrate a little bit if something bad happened to them, okay? I know you wouldn't do that out loud. You'd be like, oh, that's terrible to hear. And then secretly you're like, yes, right? These are the kind of people that if something good happens, they win the lottery, they get really successful, you're like, oh, that's great for them, you know? And then secretly you're like, oh, that just, it hurts. Like you're a little frustrated, you're a little angry. That's the kind of people I'm talking about. You know what we call that when we feel that way towards someone? That's called a grudge. And grudge holding is something that every single one of us, me included, have done or are doing right now. Let me tell you how you know if you've got a grudge, okay? A grudge is something that's going to manifest itself in your life where you'll fantasize about getting even, about getting revenge. It's somebody that you think about, if I had the opportunity to tell her how I really felt, if I had the opportunity to tell him off publicly, oh my gosh, that would be satisfying. That would feel so good. We finally get even. I'd get some closure on what they did to me, or so we think. But here's what I have found, and I talked to many people about this, read many books about it. The satisfaction that we seek in trying to fulfill that grudge, we don't ever see. We don't ever experience that satisfaction. It's incredible how it it evades us. And this is a part of the sinister part of the grudge. You see, the further that we get into a grudge, the further the grudge gets into us. The further that we get our grip on the grudge, the tighter the grip of the grudge gets on us. You see, the person that the grudge winds up hurting most is you, the one who's holding the grudge against other people. And it's so important for us to take a good look. Is this really happening to me? Is this happening to me right now? Because it tends to wind up manifesting itself and out, like kind of lashing out in anger, lashing out uh, uh, in um, frustration when we get mad 
and it'll come out in emails. We'll write a little terse, a little angry email or a little text to let somebody really know what we think. Or maybe it's a voicemail. We leave voicemail or we say something or we just really get some fulfillment. Let's, let's just be honest for a minute. I know we're, we're having online church right now, but let's just get gut level honest. When you share a piece of juicy gossip, especially if it's the kind of gossip that's sort of character assassinating kind of gossip, I mean, it's fun for a little bit. It satisfies for just a moment, but it doesn't last. It hurts over a long period of time. So my question is, is that grudge that you've been holding on to? Is that grudge, is it working for you? Is it working for you? Think about this. Is it helping you to forget the person who's hurt you? Is it helping you to release that that hurt, that injury, that past offense that has happened to you? Or do you constantly think about it at random times? It keeps you up at night. Some of you have been holding on to these grudges so long, it's beginning to have wear and tear on your body, on you emotionally, on your soul. And maybe people who love you, really know you, have even had pulled you aside for a little sidebar conversation. Maybe your spouse or a good friend, they're saying, hey, listen, I love you, but you're hard to live with right now. You're hard to be around. It's hard to be close to you right now. You're making it really hard on me. You're like easily angered. You're easily offended by a lot of stuff that used to not bother you so much. But it's really like you're kind of going off the rails a little bit, more than, more than usual. Maybe that's, that, that's stuff I hear sometimes. But you, you, wanna, you want to listen to what they're saying because these, this grudge will begin to deteriorate, erode away the very people that you love most, that you hold the most dear. And not only will it hurt your relationship with people, it will hurt your relationship with God as well. And here's why. Holding a grudge, ladies and gentlemen, is like drinking a poison hoping the other person will die. It's like drinking a poison hoping the other person will die. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you are sick of it. You've been doing this for a long time. You've been holding on to something for a really long time. It's not working. And some of you would say, I'm tired of drinking the poison. I'm tired of the frustration. I'm tired of what is, this is doing to me, what it's doing to my relationships. I want out. And here's what I want you to know today is that God also wants you out. And the only way out is forgiveness. The only way out, God says, is that forgiveness is the only way to go out of, to exit out of that prison cell of your past hurts and grudges. It's the only way out. But let me be clear. Forgiving another person, forgiving another person is not just trying to put it out of your mind, just try to put it behind you. That's not forgiveness, guys. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is only possible through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me put it another way. The cross of Jesus can help you to deal with, not deny what's been done to you. 
It helps you to really deal with it, not just deny it, try to put it behind you. Maybe you've heard from people, well-meaning people in your family, you're making too big a deal of this. It's not a big deal. Just let it go. And you want to say to them, it's not a big deal to you because it didn't happen to you. It happened to me. It hurt, and I can't let it go, right? It's not, it, we're not saying try to downplay it and act like it's not a big deal. We're saying, no, it is a huge deal what happened to you, how you were hurt, how you were offended, how you were abused, how somebody took advantage of you, broke your heart. I get that. That makes complete sense. We're just saying, listen, there's a way out. If you hold on to that, it's going to continue to hurt you and hurt the people that you love most. But it is freedom that has been given to us through the cross of Jesus Christ to help us to deal with, not to just deny what's been done to us. So let me talk for just a minute about this Roman crucifixion. We're going to look at it for just a moment and really try to understand what it means for us today in terms of forgiveness. Now, in the Roman government, when they were going to crucify somebody, they didn't want it to be some kind of secretive thing that's done off uh, in the sidelines of society. They wanted it right up and personal. They wanted it public. They wanted it where everybody could witness it where people couldn't get away from it, that it would be this ugly, horrible thing that you were confronted with. As a matter of fact, many Roman historians would say, unlike all of the motion pictures that you have seen with crucifixions up like 15 foot in the air, that's not how Rome did it. They did it like only inches off the ground, where the foot of the victim who was being crucified was literally only maybe at the most six inches, where they almost could maybe touch the ground, but they couldn't actually touch the ground. It made it even more torturous for the one who was going through it. But it also made it where the passerbys who were on a main thoroughfare where they could look up and see up on Golgotha or the, the skull, this mountain where they could see where they were being crucified. And sometimes people would come right up and look eye to eye, and that's what Rome wanted, to look at the victim, see their suffering, see the horrendous pain they were in. It was like Rome is saying, yeah, take a good look, and it's so hideous you can't look away. So hideous. And they're saying, you need to understand that anybody who does not bow a submissive knee to Rome, this will be your fate. They wanted to make that real clear to everybody. That was the statement that they were trying to make. The Roman kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, the, the Roman government was trying to make to people. And I want to read to you the account, or at least a part of the account, from the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician who was writing, he was a follower of Jesus, who was also writing about this moment in time when Jesus was being crucified. And I want us to zero in on the very first thing that Luke records that Jesus said from the cross Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 33, here's what Luke said. He says, And when they came to the place called the skull, also called Golgotha, maybe your copy of the scripture says Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And here Jesus, the first statement from the cross, this first famous last words of Jesus before his death on the cross. He is praying to his Father in heaven for the forgiveness of all of those who are responsible for that moment of his crucifixion. Everybody. He's praying for their forgiveness. This is truly a remarkable moment. 
And so Jesus here is saying, listen, I want you to understand you can be forgiven even for this. And even in that moment, nobody was asking for forgiveness. Nobody there that was responsible for his death even understood that they were guilty of a innocent, uh, of, of, of um, crucifying an innocent man. In that message or that statement that was being made that day, the most powerful one, I should say, was not made by the Roman kingdom, but was made by the kingdom of heaven. It was as if the, our heavenly Father was telling everyone, I want you to come near. Yes, just like Rome said, I want you to come near, and I want you to come take a look right in the eyes of your Savior. And I want you to see that He is here dying to pay the penalty to pay the price that you owe because of your sin. And his message to you is this. You are forgiven. I give you mercy. I give you grace. I am paying the penalty. I am paying the price in your place. You don't have to pay this price. You can be free. This is what makes the cross of Jesus Christ so powerful in its ability to help us to forgive other people because it's through us understanding we have been set free by Jesus Christ that we can turn around and exit the prison cell of unforgiveness for other people, other people that have hurt us through a variety of different circumstances that have happened in our life. And my question for you today is, don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be released from that past hurt, that past anguish that is happening, that has happened in your life? Because if you are unwilling to forgive those who have hurt you and offended you and come against you, then you will continue to find yourself lashing out in anger. You're going to continue to find yourself at times where you are fantasizing about revenge. And it's going to slowly deteriorate your relationships. It's going to hurt you more and more and more. In other words, the hurt that they have done to you is just the beginning. They will continue to hurt you throughout your life if you don't forgive them. And all of this happens, and it's horrible because it's not even your fault. It's their fault. But you can be set free. And here's what so many people forget or never learn, don't have any idea about the power of forgiveness. That we wrongly assume that forgiveness is for the offender only, but it's really God's gift to the offended. It's to you, it's to me, to set us free. That we don't have to live under this anymore. It's not Jesus saying, just be the bigger person, forgive. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not downplaying what happened to you. I'm just saying, if you want to be free, you have to let go. You have to release this into God's hand. You have to give it over to him and stop holding on to it. There was a moment that happened in the New Testament. I love this. Peter, it was always sort of the voice box, if you will, for the 12 disciples. He was, he was questioning this. I'm sure all 12 of them were asking, but, G, but Peter's the one that comes up and asks Jesus. And essentially, I'm going to read you this passage. And, and essentially, here's what he's asking. He's saying, Jesus, when is it okay to not forgive? Like, where is the line? Like, at some point, you have to say, okay, enough. That, that, no more. Not, not after this. No more. I'm not going to forgive anymore after this. And he comes to Jesus, and he's going to ask. He's kind of going a roundabout way, but Jesus gives this incredible parable to help us understand how forgiveness works 
in the economy of God and how He loves us and how He wants us to function as His people. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Like, Peter felt like he's being really generous because the going teaching of almost all rabbis of that time was three. Three strikes and you're out. You can forgive people one, two, three, and then after that, it's okay to write them off. <laughs> you can write them out of your will. You can kick them out of your life. You don't have to deal with them anymore. And Peter's going, I've been listening, Jesus. I'm, I'm going to show you. I've been listening. I'm like more than doubling the going rate for forgiveness, right? Seven times. Here's Jesus' response. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, as if to say, Peter, stop counting. Always forgive. Always forgive. It, he goes on to explain it some more. 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now he launches into a story to help us to understand this dynamic between God and people and how forgiveness works. He's talking about this king who has a kingdom. He's going to forgive debts, and he says, or settle debts rather. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, I looked it up this week just to get the current going rate. This is, in, in today's dollar amount, over $150 million, $50 million, over $150 million that this guy owed him. So this guy who owed 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him since he was not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. Canceled, notice this, canceled the debt and let him go. He didn't set up a payment program. He didn't say, okay, well, instead of throwing you in prison, you still got to pay it back, but we're going to make it easy on you. You can just pay it out in installments for the rest of your life. No, he totally forgave the debt. This shows you how powerful and wealthy this king is. 150 mil, I'm good without it. I can live with it. No big deal. I don't need it, right? This is how he, took, this is how he responds. He lets him go. But when that servant, the servant number one, went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, this was equivalent to about 580 current dollars of our, our time right now. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. What? Doesn't this seem a little odd to you? Is this really weird? He's trying to choke this guy, screaming at him, pay back. To, oh, he demanded his fellow servant, uh, his servant, uh, pardon me, he demanded, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. You would think that that would ring in his ears like, wow, this sounds like deja vu. This just happened to me not so long ago, just maybe an hour ago. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. Of course they were. And went and told the master everything that had happened. And when the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, 
I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Shouldn't you have? Doesn't that make sense? That just seems to just make sense, doesn't it? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus couldn't have made it any clearer. And let's talk about this for a minute because Jesus gives us two stages of forgiveness in our understanding of how he talks about forgiveness and, and, and how it works in our life. Here's the first one. First is that we have to embrace God's forgiveness at the cross. His forgiveness for us. That the cross was for us. In other words, as far as you and I are concerned, the big spiritual economic debt that is owed in our life is our own. It's the biggest one. Jesus is saying, don't lose sight of that. I know other people have hurt you and offended you and come against you, but honestly, your debt is the biggest one that's owed. Yours is the biggest one that's owed. And it's interesting that Jesus, back in um, Luke chapter 23, Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He's asking for the forgiveness of all those responsible for putting him on the cross. But Scripture is also clear because we have sinned, I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned, that we are all implicit, that we are all a part of why Jesus had to go to the cross. That forgiveness was for us too. We were a part of the reason why he was put on the cross. But Jesus says, I offer you forgiveness. I offer you mercy and grace when you don't deserve it. Freedom from a prison cell that you didn't even know you were in. You felt it, but you didn't know where it was coming from. Later, the apostle Paul echoes this powerful sentiment in his letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4, verse 32. Here's what Paul writes. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, the same mindset as, in Christ God forgave you. Just as, ladies and gentlemen, let me just explain that. Just as means that we treat other people not the way they treated us. We treat other people just as Christ, that God treated us in Christ. That we treat other people the way our Heavenly Father has treated us in Jesus Christ. It's freeing. It allows us to be able to offer forgiveness to other people who do not deserve it, have not asked for it. They're not looking for it, but they need to be forgiven from your heart. Because if they're not, you will be held a prisoner. And as long as you hold on to that unforgiveness, you will be hurt over and over and over by what they have done to you in the past. Don't live like that. Let God free you from this. Help Him, to allow Him to be able to help you step out of that prison sentence. It's so powerful and so beautiful how God provides a way out of that, that we don't have to live like that. And it's interesting in the parable, the unforgiving servant that was unwilling, that said, nope, not forgiving the other guy. What happened to him in the end? He got thrown into prison, right? And it wasn't just prison. He turned him over to the jailers to be tortured 
This is what breaks my heart, ladies and gentlemen, is to see people who are literally internally in their soul tortured over and over and over because they're just unwilling to forgive. They're unwilling to release people who have hurt them. And by not releasing them, they allow them to hurt them over and over and over. Don't be that victim that is in that cyclical situation where you haven't fully forgiven from your heart, as Jesus says. Let it be something that you offer to them today, whether they ask for it or not, just between you and God, you can begin the process of saying, God, I want out from under this. I don't want to live under the weight of this, incarcerated by this any longer. So first, we receive God's forgiveness at the cross. Number two is that forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. In other words, Jesus on the cross, he helped us to see that when he forgave our sin, he also forgave the penalty of that sin, of being separated from God for all eternity. He wiped away, he, he, he paid the price to remove the penalty of sin. But here's what a lot of people do not understand about forgiveness of other people, that when we're willing to forgive other people, that in that forgiveness, we also get released from the penalty of their sin. To be unwilling to forgive them of their sin is to not come out from under the penalty of that sin, that you will continue to carry that penalty and that hurt and that pain throughout your life. Jesus is trying to be very clear in this parable. Don't live like that. It will be nothing but torture for you. So the question we've got to ask ourselves today, we, I'm asking myself, I'm asking you to ask the same question. Who owes you? Who's hurt you? Who's offended you? Who broke your heart? Who took advantage of you? Who abused you? Who, who, who lied to you? Who broke your heart? Who abandoned you? Who, who hurt you? Who do you feel like they owe me? And, and you know, forgiveness is so powerful because it gets you out from under this expectation that someday if I would just pursue them and hold them accountable and, and have that moment of revenge, that maybe, just maybe, we will get even. That they can give me back. They can satisfy what they have taken from me. And let me just give you a shortcut in life. They will never be able to give you back what has been taken from you. They do not have it in them to give that to you. Only God can do that. And for you to continue to pursue it and look for it and ask for it and, and look for ways to get back at them, it will never bring freedom to you. Never. And it is time for you to say, God, help me to specifically, what are the specific things that they have done to you that you need to forgive? And the reason I say get very specific with what they owe you is because in the parable, Jesus was telling us that the the servants were being forgiven of specific amounts, not vague amounts. They were very specific. They had to be forgiven of specific things that were done to you. Get very specific. Maybe you list them out, and then you wad it up, you throw it away, you burn it, whatever you want to do. But get specific and say, God, I forgive them for X. I forgive her for doing X. I forgive him for you fill in the blank. But it's important that you bring this before God. Because if you don't, you never get free. If you don't, you remain a prisoner to this past offense for the rest of your life. It's not worth living like that. I'm telling you the only way out is forgiveness. 
Isn't it beautiful that God has given us a way out? He's given us a key to open this prison cell, to get out. And today, I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer of application with me right now to ask Jesus to help you to take the next step. This might be something that is going to be a process for you, and that's okay. I've had to go through those kind of times in my life, too, where it's a process of forgiving. And, and, and starts today just by saying, Jesus, help me to take the first step in forgiving those who owe me. And, and maybe you're strong enough today, you say, I, I'm just going to wipe it clean. I'm going to forgive them, put it behind me, and I'm just going to drive a stake down in my heart right now that I am done with this. I don't want to be a prisoner to this anymore. I am free. I give it to you, Jesus. But I just want to ask you in our prayer time in just a minute just to say, Jesus, I take the next step in forgiving those who, who owe me, who have hurt me. Here's the next part is I forgive them because you forgive me. Just as in Christ, God forgave you and he forgave me. This is, this is our standard by which we forgive other people, right? And then finally, I receive your forgiveness right now. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.